I got a free motorcycle. <laughs> did we did we talk about that on the show yet? We, we didn't. talked about it when it was pending or like what maybe happened? gonna happen. Homie showed up in a truck, uh, and and the the dude who gave it to me, his his name is Matt. He doesn't want any public recognition. He doesn't want me to. I mean, I did I did do a post, but I didn't I didn't tag him in it. I didn't he didn't didn't want any recognition. He just wanted it to go to a good home, and so. The, the Matt Farah home of wayward Italian old things um, is in full effect. What up, everybody? Today's podcast is brought to you by Bird Dogs. You probably heard about these uh, shorts and pants on other shows. They've been a popular podcast advertising company. And now I have a pair for myself, the Joggers. They are delightful. Let me tell you why I love these pants. They're good for everything. They fit well, they're comfortable, and they are good for all activities. My key activity that I need pants like this for is for when I want to fly on an airplane somewhere and then have to do work and look semi-professional like once I get there. You know what I mean? Like you want the comfort of almost like a sweat pant on the airplane, but then you look like a slob when you get off the plane and have to go straight to work. Jeans with a belt, not as comfortable if you're on a plane for a few hours, but these pants, they've got some nice little stretch to them, right? They make my legs look good. They're comfortable and they have the freedom to wear one pair of pants to the airport, through the airport, on the airplane, and then to the press launch dinner afterwards once I get there, right? Or they're great for lounging around the house, hanging out with friends, or as just an alternative to jeans or sweatpants. They look like you actually care about your clothes, which is a good, good thing. And so uh, you can check them out for yourself. They got the pants and the famous original shorts. Go to the Bird Dogs website. Uh, the link is in the podcast description. And when you enter promo code Tire, T-I-R-E. They'll throw in a free Yeti-style tumbler with every order. Can never have enough Yeti-style tumblers. Go to the Bird Dogs website, hit the link in the description, and use code TIRE for a free Yeti-style tumbler with every order of Bird Dogs. Thank you for sponsoring today's show. Uh, we're also brought to you by our favorite dash cams, Blackview. It's the DR970X two-channel LTE. Sooner or later, they need to name these things like the Falcon or something because it's a combination of letters and numbers, but they do actually mean things. The new DR970X two-channel LTE means it combines superb 4K Ultra HD image quality with simple LTE connectivity using the built-in SIM card reader, right? It's got front and rear cameras, capturing every little detail up in front in the 4K quality, while the rear camera comes with the Sony Starvis HD sensor, ensuring best clarity under any light. It's got the free app, allowing you to connect to your dash cam over the cloud. You get impact notifications. You can watch the live view and download videos directly to your phone. No physical connection needed. There's parking mode native, which means you can hardwire it to the car's fuse panel without requiring additional accessories. That way, the dash cam switches to parking mode automatically when your ignition is turned off. And then thanks to the video buffer, uh, the few seconds leading to triggering events are also recorded. So for instance, if someone were to back into your car, it doesn't just measure the impact. It records a few seconds before that so you can see how, maybe why, this person hit your car. Then 
You can let the dash cam save the event videos to the cloud in real time, just as they happen. Plus, the DR970X two-channel LTE dash cam doubles as a Wi-Fi hotspot for up to five devices, allowing your passengers to use the internet while on the go. Get the best 4K dash cam protection and the ultimate cloud connectivity with the DR970X two-channel LTE. So, go to blackview.com com slash TST. That's B-L-A-C-K-V-U-E dot com slash TST to learn more about the DR970X two-channel LTE dash cam and use promo code TIRE. So go to blackview.com slash TST, promo code TIRE to get 10% off any Blackview dash cam or parking mode accessory plus free shipping for orders over $200. Also brought to you by our friends at Dylan Optics. You know those amazing sunglasses that me and Zach are wearing in every single Smoke and Tire video? Those are called Dylan Optics. We have been sponsored by them for almost 13 years. It is our longest sponsor, our original sponsor, and the only sponsor we've had that has been consistent the entire time. I love their glasses, not just because of that fact. I love the glasses because they are amazing. The lens has an unbelievable double polarized technology that allows um, you to see incredibly clearly. It's like HD life. And also that matte finish on the outside of the lenses identifies the glasses immediately as Dylan's. They look different. People kind of notice them when you're wearing them. And they every year add more and more styles. I think when I started with Dylan, they had maybe three styles. There's probably... 15 frame styles on there. Plus, you can customize them. There's your frame style and then your lens color. They have the matte finish lenses in black, silver, gold, blue, red, green. They're very, very cool. And by mixing and matching, you can order pretty much a unique set of glasses for you. You can even get prescription Dylan Optics, which I got some for my wife, and they are great. Uh, to order them, go to thesmokingtire.com, our website. Yes, we have a website. Go to it, and under the Partners tab, you'll see Dylan. If you click on that link to get to Dylan Optics, we will send you a free smoking tire t-shirt for every pair of Dylan Optics sunglasses you order. I love those glasses. They look great on big heads and small heads, aviator styles, wayfarer styles, wraparound styles. There's a bunch of different styles and they're all awesome. So head over to thesmokingtire.com, click on the partners tab and then that Dylan banner and you can get yourself a pair and that free smoking tire t-shirt for supporting the people who support us. All right, folks, today it's a crew show. Zach and I are in studio. We are talking about the joys of driving some of your own cars, the free motorcycle I have just gotten, how I gashed the shit out of my head with a razor that's supposed to be safe. What the hell is going on? We also talk about an amazing uh, Ferrari book that Donnie bought me and our dream bits of memorabilia. Answer some amazing Patreon questions about whether or not EVs are actually good for us or just good for them. And a whole lot more on today's episode of the Smoking Tire Podcast. That's a rabbit hole. The pen thing. Mm -hmm. That's like... I'm surprised I haven't got the, it's it's been an impressive amount of restraint I think on my behalf that I haven't gone down the pen rabbit hole oh, there you go. because 
if you once you go to cars, then you go to watches. The pens is really the next thing. And I write a lot. I handwrite. But I told myself because I thought I thought the idea was of fountain pens was good. Buy this box of six Pilot fountain pens, twelve dollars, different colors. Mm -hmm. And if I finish them, maybe all of them but the red one. Doubt I'll ever get through the red one. Grading papers. But there's like black and like five kinds of. There's black, four kinds of blue and red. If I got through all of them, then I would buy myself a nice fountain pen. Haven't even finished one. That was a year and a half ago. Is that like the broad tip calligraphy style? Yeah, like shit? A, a fountain pen. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not the ones where you have to put them in the thing and Inkwell, and suck right. them up. Like they're disposable. They actually write beautifully. We had to use those at Waldorf. We had to learn calligraphy when I went to that school. Oh, really? And they were like, yeah, which is fun, but also it slows Did your you writing down. Did you have to wear down. a suit too? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> no. I'd rather have to write in a fountain pen than have to use a suit. But like, there's you can tell like here, like that page, the light blue, mm -hmm. like that's fountain pen. Like a bunch oh, of it looks I, like uh, I've written a bunch of these and bunch of pages in fountain pen. It looks a lot like that's, those ball. Here's ballpoint pen, tip, or yeah. here's like a gel roller pen, and that's fountain pen. Okay. Like it's it definitely, similar. by it's the similar. way, it bleeds through the yes, page like crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. You're pouring liquid ink. Yeah, on it. yeah, I mean, what's the only thing that sucks about fountain pen is like it definitely fucks up the fact that I write on both sides of the page. I think if you have the style to it, like uh, Carl Muth, what was his last name? Oh, like, yeah, Carl. If you can do yeah. that or, like, maybe do, you know, cursive quickly. Otherwise, it, do, it just doesn't do anything. Carl, homie, I know you listen to this show. Please send me a handwriting sample again. That motherfucker writes. He has the richest person handwriting. When I tell you guys that this fool, who's the guy who owned the crazy uh, modified Jaguar XJR that I did a video with like seven years ago, it had an LS motor and a gated six-speed gearbox. Mm -hmm. It was like, Beautiful. if you had all the money in the world, that is the Jaguar you would build. And this guy does. He also literally wrote the book Philanthropy for Dummies. He has a big family fortune, and he literally gives away more money than he makes every year, which is good man. Good man, Carl. Also, he writes like the Constitution. Yeah, it you really looks like that. You cannot believe this gentleman's handwriting. It's incredible. It is wild. Shout out to Carl. We love you. Um, welcome to the uh, today's cruise show. Zach and I are preparing for a little trip we're taking tomorrow to Knoxville. I can't believe I'm going to Knoxville twice in a month, but here we are. Um, <laughs> Who we, goes to Santiago, Chile twice <laughs> in one year? We're, uh, we're going to... Uh, to test drive the new Polaris Razor XP, which is the new, the new one. The newest. I think it's I think it's the fast one. Uh, I think there the Razor Pro XP. Go up. That the XP and the Pro XP. That looks fun as fuck. Yes, it is such a good time. I have uh, I've never been on a press launch. I've been on car a bunch of car ones, obviously, couple motorcycle ones. The motorcycle press launches are kind of interesting. They're a little different uh, than the car ones. Mm -hmm. um, and and I've never been on a UTV press launch or anything, anything like that. So I have no idea really what to expect. Although they did tell me that there is a like a drive route uh, through this wilderness. And then I was like, I can't get video by myself. You have to bring Zach too. And you know, part of me was like, that's true. I literally could not do it by myself. But also, I knew Zach would have a very good time doing yeah, this. And you always jumps. Yeah, and you got to look out for your boy when someone says do you want to come to Tennessee and drive fucking side by sides. You got to look out for your homies when you do that shit. 
It's going to be so fun. Yeah. Do you know, is it like a like a 10-mile route and we go in circles and trade? Or no, I don't think like so. A, a I think it's like a 100-mile loop. Wow. Loop. Yeah. That's cool. why when I that's when I saw the, the thing. That's when I was like, I cannot. Yeah. I can't get drive-bys. I can't get any of those things that like we need to make a good video if I'm by myself. Like, yeah. I just can't do it. So, um, you know, we're obviously, we're both going to drive. It's not, it's not the Matt Farah show anymore. But uh, I think it should be fun as fuck. It'd be super fun. And I saw the list of people, uh, journalists who are attending uh, as part of my itinerary. Never, not only do I not know any of them, I've never even heard of one of them, which I, is certainly, it's actually, I see that as a good thing. Meet some new people uh, in this industry. Like, you know, who fucking knows? Could be great. Yeah. Like, I wonder if, if there's people that like, they started in motorcycles and then they cover these or if they're just fixed on side by sides and because like it's a pretty it's a big yeah. industry a lot of different companies make you know products for this market yeah cuz these you know <clears throat> these started as ATVs before mm -hmm. right and then they we needed a more comfortable ATV so i it's a it's not a big leap from motorcycle to ATV to this Zach Bowman for like a year ran a digital magazine that was just about side by side. Sure. Yeah. Well, I didn't get the numbers yet, but I was I've been told uh, that the, they sell more of these every year than most popular sports cars in the U.S. Like more of these than like you know Corvettes and Caymans and maybe not Mustangs, but certainly more. They sell more side by sides than like two seat road going sports cars every year. They're very, very popular, and they're and why shouldn't they be? They're cheap. I mean, even like a really fast one of these is like twenty five grand. I'm not trying to be elitist and pretend like twenty five grand is cheap, but that's like two ninety nine a month. Well, it's even with one of the cheapest passenger cars you can buy today, yeah. brand new. I mean, that's Corolla. Yeah, like, it's cheaper than a car. Yeah, most yeah, cars. Most... And the desert and uh, the places without tarmac are some of the last kind of places in this country where you can have like silly fun and shit, you know, without getting it getting way out of hand or being very, very dangerous. Um, so I, I'm very excited for this. I think it should be fun as fuck. Do you I have a trying, number? I was trying to find a number, but it's all just Polaris in general. And that was like $9 billion, which is a lot. That's a lot. In revenue. Yeah. $9 billion seems like a lot. Yeah. Well, we'll find out, but they're very, very popular. I asked them to get that reason. number for me, how many units moved. But I hope it's the little two-seater ones. They seem more fun than the four-seater ones. Uh, oh, I've never – I've seen the Can-Am ones, different company I know, yeah. and they have a longer wheelbase, which is beneficial. These but... guys do too. If you go back to the models, they have a, they had a four-seat one oh, as well. Oh, cool. But, it, but ours is the, the RZR XP, which is the – according to the – to the, 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 uh, the model lineup was the two-seat one. Explore, go to explore lineup right down there. Yeah. Uh, trail, Trail S, XP, XP, R, Turbo, oh, R. Yeah, the XP4. Right. So maybe they will have the, the four-seater ones. Holy shit, Pro R4, that one's $42,000? Yeah. Damn. 181 horsepower. Uh, yeah, it's probably And fast. they do put the wide stance on it. 74-inch uh, oh, so like, wide. Oh, so that's like for yumpy. 74-inch wide. That's, that's a like wide a track. fucking Bronco. Yeah. Uh, I, I might, think like the M2 is about that wide. Yeah, um, that's, that's pretty wide. Anyway, I'm excited. I think it should be great. Not really looking forward to getting up at 3 a.m. for our flight tomorrow, but it's okay. Oh, my God, I know. Oh, I just watched the Some More News today on the elliptical machine about why the airlines suck. Shocking to know it's basically about 
it's not it's not partisan actually it's totally bipartisan shittiness uh, <laughs> that's, uh, and but it's basically deregulation deregulation and the worship of profits impartial over, greed over uh, yeah just straight up greed um, right one uh, one correction from previous crew shows uh, in the the uh, Patreon Q and A portion of a previous crew show someone asked about the HOV carpool lane stickers uh, on EVs and I said something that was not quite correct it wasn't totally incorrect but a fan named McLean Neville, shout out to him, uh, corrected me, and uh, with uh, with a, a good citation to back the it up. The adopted Neville brother, right? From I Ireland. said you had to choose between <laughs> between the uh, the federal tax credit and the HOV sticker. That's not correct. You act. It's it's the state tax credit, which is called the Clean Air Vehicle Program. Okay. The federal and the California carpool lane system have nothing to do with each other. So there's a $7,500 federal tax credit across the board. Those are the tax credit rules. The Clean Air Vehicle Program is $2,000 in California, and it's a rebate, not a tax credit. And um, you, it, uh, you can if sorry, you can get you have to choose between that rebate and the sticker for the carpool lane, but only if. You make over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, or if you make over three hundred thousand dollars, if you file as a married couple, joint joint file. So if you make under one hundred fifty, under one hundred fifty k a year, you can get the rebate and you can get the two thousand oh, okay. dollar tax credit. Got it. Sorry, you, the rebate and the sticker. If you make over that, you you only get one. Correct. Oh, you, cool. If you are okay. Rico and Suave, you right. have to pick one, Rico or Suave. And you're picking HOV, and for And you sure. definitely, I would pay two Gs off the top of the vehicle to get HOV lane for sure. But because uh, I, the reason I kind of wrote it off is because between my wife and I, we do make over $300,000. And so we didn't get it. And you also do, I was right, you have 60 days from the date of purchase. So if you bought your car a year ago, you can't go back and do it. But it was, uh, thank you, McLean, because it's not the federal uh, tax credit. It's the $2,000 California rebate cool. that you have to choose between. And only if you are... Uh, $150,000 or above. Oh, so Below 150k you can get both as long as you file within 60 days of buying a new EV. You cannot do it with a used EV. Right. Yeah. So, uh, thank you for the correction. We are not perfect. We are happy to admit when we get stuff wrong, especially when we get very uh, nice and friendly emails from people correcting yeah, us. Helpful That's email. Totally fine. Um I know what people watching the video are thinking. Why do I have a fucking Band-Aid on my head? Let me tell you something. Safety razors, not so safe, as it turns out. No. Fell for one of those Instagram ads that was like, no more ingrown hairs. Shave like your fucking dad used to. These cartridge razors are bullshit. They're, you know, they, they're, they're trying to get you by saying with these funky animations that are showing how the, the normal raise, like the, the mass produced yeah. razors that we have now, where it's like four or five blades on the front, you know, on a nice pivoting head. They're saying that the, that the way that those shave with the multiple blades, it ends up, you end up getting more uh, razor bumps, ingrown hairs, et cetera. I get those once in a while. So I saw an Instagram promoted tweet. Use one of these. I don't want to say the name of it, but it's 
a more like old school single blade style, not like the 1800s. Yeah, not a flat blade. Not a fucking flip out shit, yeah. you know, like a like a Straight pocket razor. knife. Not one of those. But the safety razor one, it's a single blade. You, It looks like the shit from the 50s. So I got one and I was so nervous and I watched all these YouTube videos. Yeah, one of these. Best okay. safety razors. Right. It's probably, the one I got is probably on the list of the 11 best safety razors. And, you know, I buzz my head. I use the Brio Beardscape. Love it. Buzz my head and face. And then I get in the shower. I've got a mirror in the shower. Fucking lather it up. The steam. I let it sit. Ugh, I'm already, like, cringing. Bro, I cut about a dime-size hole in my head with the very first stroke of the razor. Ow. Two inches in. I'm out. Yeah. You Turns know. out... The science has moved on past these. I am wow. not. I am not fucking about it. Head wounds no. bleed too. Dude, I was a gusher. <laughs> they do. It yeah. was fucking terrible. Uh, and I'm in the shower, so it's wet and it's getting in the shaving cream. And now I've got like blood stained shaving cream all over my head. What I don't understand how this would be better than the new system. I well, the, the the advertising says that with a single blade it cuts the hair off. Okay. But with the with multi blades, the first blade actually pulls the hair kind of out. The next blade cuts it, and then when it drops back, it goes underneath the skin, mm. producing a shave that's smoother on the first day. But then some of the time, it it produces an ingrown hair oh. or irritant. I haven't had that many problems with that. Like, you know, I don't I've, have that many problems, but it's something that comes up once in a while. Every now and then, I think. But, but anyway, but I, I would much rather have an ingrown hair like every six months than a than, fucking gash yeah. on your head like yeah. I've got right now. A hundred percent. Yeah, your head is like a carrot that's getting processed. It's not good. No, no, it's not good. It was, oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Not I'm, fun. I'm fucking, mm -hmm. and the thing was fifty dollars. It wasn't like it wasn't cheap. It was. Can, fucking, can you return it? Or they be like, oh, sorry, it has blood on sorry, it. Sorry, it's got like a fucking dime-sized bit of skin stuck ah. in there. It's terrible. What were we watching? Oh, uh, uh, Clarkson's Farm season two when oh, he just shaves thumb? his thumb ah! off in the deli slicer. Fucking like terrible. Shit, <laughs> I don't know how he did that. God damn, that really was don't. terrible. It wasn't a deli slicer. It was a mandolin. Oh, yeah. Which, if you don't know how to use a mandolin, <sighs> don't use a goddamn mandolin. He went in so confident. Oh. He did it so confidently. I thought it was a, like a joke, like yeah. a plant. I was yeah. like, this is a fix. And I was like, nope, that's... His confidence for that was the opposite of my confidence with oh. shaving my head. I was terrified that the exact thing that happened would happen. Yeah. It happened so... It happened right away. What, the first stroke, dude. Your <laughs> head and his thumb can go to therapy together. Crazy. It's in the circle. Uh, right. Um... So last week, um, I got a free motorcycle. <laughs> did we did we talk about that on the show yet? We, we talked about it when it was pending or like what maybe happened? gonna happen. Homie showed up in a truck, uh, and and the the dude who gave it to me, his his name is Matt. He doesn't want any public recognition. He doesn't want me to. I mean, I did I did do a post, but I didn't I didn't tag him in it. I didn't he didn't didn't want any recognition. He just wanted it to go to a good home, and so. The, the Matt Farah home of wayward Italian old things um, is in full effect. It's a very pretty bike. Yeah. It's a Ducati uh, 900. 2002 Ducati 900 Super Sport, which has, uh, which has an air-cooled 900cc V-twin desmodromic uh, valves. Uh, and then the, and the the famous Ducati dry clutch, which goes clack, 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 clack. 
Um, and then has an exhaust on it that I think is meant for a Yamaha, possibly. Someone okay. in the comments said that the 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 the, the mufflers on this bike are, are meant for a, a Japanese bike, but oh. okay. All right. Sure. Do they fit and sound good? I mean, you heard it. Yeah. Sounds all right. Sounds like a Ducati to it, me. It does, yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure, other than maintenance, a free motorcycle is something I want to spend a bunch of money on. I right. Think. I think maybe I'll ride it a little bit. I got a big stack of service records. Uh, in fact, he was going to give it to me two weeks ago, but he found an oil leak and took it to service and had it serviced. Wow, what a nice dude. So it has an, it has fresh oil, the oil leak is fixed, and it has a, a new chain on it as well. That's awesome. Which is pretty cool. The only thing about it is I'm not sure I can ride it. That The the, the bars are yeah, very aggressive, right. sport bike, you know, leaned over. Yeah, the clip-on bars. Yeah. What is the definition of clip-on bars? I think it's because they bolt to the stem, whereas like original motorcycle bars, you know, were bolted on top and went across. Oh, it was yeah. Just the edges. Right. That's I what didn't I know what that mean. term means. Like my SV had those, where it, whereas it came with like a traditional bar. Oh, I do you think, think that's not the bars that came with? No, I think it probably is, because this think, is like a sporty, sporty bike. Yeah. But I'm looking for uh, a possible alternatives for those handlebars where that might, might either like a, an extender or a riser of some kind. It's not high on my priority list right now because, uh, you know, I got shit to do. But either way, I will take care of this bike that has been gifted to us. Um, I told Vinny he could put some miles on it once in a while. Yeah. But Does he still have his TL? This is kind of like Vinny has his version. TL. Okay. It's downstairs. Vinny got, for commuting, a fucking BMW R1800 bagger, yeah. which is like... He's like, bro, I got a good deal on it. I'm like, bro, this bike is 850 pounds. How do you split lanes with the bag? I know you can. On the fucking 10. Yeah. So I know I I just went a little inside baseball there. Lane splitting is legal in California, which is one of the reasons that motorcycles are a great way to get around. But lane splitting motorcycles on the freeway, not all freeways are the same. Freeways such as the 405, the 105, and the 110 uh, have uh, carpool lanes. And the lanes that divide, the hard lane that divides the carpool lane from the rest of the traffic is a little wider. Yes. So it's not like splitting lanes in between. Yeah. It's not like splitting lanes on uh, the 10 where there is no carpool lane and it's just a regular regular dotted line. The 405 has a probably it's five or six feet. Yeah, separating and a couple other highways do too. So it's basically a motorcycle lane. Yeah, it's so you can lane treated. split on a bagger in certain highways, but not all of them. <laughs> and so I don't know how this how Vinny's lane splitting on the ten. This fucking giant, a bagger with a fucking huge wide engine. Also, the boxer engine on the BMWs. The fucking, the heads stick way out, too. But that's like a cat's whiskers. If the engine won't fit, the bags won't fit, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. that's. It's got, like, all the, sh- it's got all the gear in it. It's nice. He did ride it all the way to uh, Encinitas for John's funeral. Yeah, that's what it's for. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a GT bike. Yeah. And it's it's got some, it's got some, some real German shit in it, but it's also, like, the, the drive modes are, like, rock and roll. Like... 
it's also like total boomer shit. Wow. Well, they were like, they were going after the, like, that market. That's what they were. Yeah. Like, what do we do? What do we name these drive modes so the American uh, red hats will buy it? Rock and roll. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. They went for it. They, yeah. they they went to a Harley Davidson barbecue once, like yeah. at a dealership, and they were like, "All right." <laughs> yes. Um, so anyway, I'm kind of, I'm excited about this Ducati. Shout out to so cool. entire viewer Matt. Uh, but I, I, I don't really know what I'll do with it. I'd like to ride it a little bit, but in its current configuration, I really can't ride it. It's just, it's, I, I, I'd have my fucking tendonitis in both my elbows. And how t- much, how much higher do you need the bars to be? Like realistically? I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't put like big cruiser bars on it or anything, but like if you could fit the bars off of a monster onto this, that might be helpful. Okay. Yeah. They're so, they're pointed down, you know. Yeah, they're yeah. down. No, there. I know. Yeah, this bike is meant to be like lean over it, you know. But yeah. it it runs good. It seems like it's in. I mean, it seems like it's in pretty good shape. Everyone's like, get the belts checked, get the belts checked. Which okay, maybe we'll have to do that. But I have to go through all the service records and ask. And they, that might have been done recently. There's. I'm looking at the internet. There's some aftermarket stuff for bar risers. So yeah. I think something you'll be able to get a little bit of help. Yeah. Um, so free motorcycles are good, and uh, uh, oh yeah. Uh, so we're listing a uh, a client's car on uh, Cars and Bids right now. It's a very nice Lucid Air Grand Touring. By the time the show is up, go check it out. You'll you'll notice the pictures were taken at WCCS. So it's like fifteen hundred miles. Grand Touring performance, you know, white, pretty much just like the one that we made a film with, white, black interior, you know, all the go fast stuff. And there's really no other options. That's just, that's what the car is. Um, But man, the reserve that cars and bids requested is low. You know, this is a car that was 180 grand in September. It's traveled a thousand miles and change and cars and bids wants a hundred thousand dollar reserve. So this 60%, thing, this thing is lost. Has lost, you know, and and they're basing that that reserve price on two recent sales. Uh, there was a there was a sale in February at one hundred and ten, and then a no sale in March that only got up to ninety eight. So either way, Lucid is not looking so good on the secondhand market. Conversely, if you could get a Lucid. That's basically brand new, grand touring performance for 110 grand. That's a shitload of car. That is an amazing for 110 car. Grand. And it feels like it's worth more than that. I mean, because mm-hmm. it sells for more than that. But what do you think is contributing to that? Like people's worry about new manufacturer or just kind of being unknown? Both. Um, I think the market for a $180,000 startup EV is limited. I think that it doesn't present like something that is necessarily as expensive as it is. I mean, you don't look at a Lucid and go $180,000. You you look at it and you think it's maybe 120 or to $140,000 to me. Yeah. The interior is definitely like mid 100s. Yeah. But the exterior depending on what you like in cars can look a little bit simple, I Yeah. Guess. And also like we're now used to all these EVs being really fast. And so the fact that it is incrementally quicker than the Plaid, it doesn't really matter. doesn't matter, yeah. Yeah. And you're getting, you know, uh, the used buyer, shopper is like, well, I could get a Tesla 
Model S Plaid that comes with the charging network and the name and the reliability, you know, asterisk, whatever you want to say. But this is like a new company, you know, yeah, are they going to be here in a few years? No offense to Lucid. Like, I like yeah. the product, but we, you know, we well, don't there's, know. There's been some like bad news about them on a corporate level that mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot to do with how the car is made. The, the quality seems pretty good on the car, but it's, you know. When you hear bad news about the company, you're not necessarily inclined to spend 180 grand um, on the cars, right? Um, and so, and also, uh, this particular customer tried to trade it in at dealers and uh, for some other another uh, uh, you know semi exotic uh, sedan. He already has a sports car or two, and this was a daily driver. He traded out of a, a he hated his Tesla Plaid, okay, and got this. Um, that he hated the yoke. And so he got this and he drove this for like a couple months and he was like, eh, not really for me. He said it was like, it was an okay car, but like it didn't like, you know, for the amount of money it cost, it didn't like tickle him. Hmm. So he wants something else, but he was going to try and trade it in. And the, a lot of the dealers don't want to take it on trade because they don't really know, you know, what to, what to do with it. Yeah. And so that's a tough spot. Right. I mean, you're looking at, can you imagine just going, I'm about to lose, maybe, we don't know what the final sale will be, but if the reserve is a loss of $70,000. Yeah, I mean, on a good day, he's going to lose 50 or 60 grand. You know, on a good day. Yeah. He, and he knows this. Like, we, we've discussed this. And, like, he's like, yeah, well, this this sucks. And, but, you know, if it doesn't hit reserve, maybe he'll keep it and drive it because it's worth it to just do that. Mm-hmm. Um it's a nice car. There's nothing wrong with it. I drove it today because I had to make a little video of it driving. You know, they like, you know, cars. Cold start it. Obviously, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a standard form, right? But yeah. they want you to do a walk around and a cold start and a drive. And I messaged the cars and bids guy. And I'm like, do I really need to do this? Like, this is a brand new EV. And, and they're like, the auctions do better if there is a video. So mm-hmm. just... If you can do it, just do it, even though it seems kind of dumb. And it makes sense to demonstrate all the systems. The cold start is funny, though. It's yeah. like, can you cold start this light switch? I mean, it's, it should work. Yeah. I understand yeah. why that standardized form is there. Oh, hell yes. Yeah. Yes. But in a, in a brand new EV, yeah. it doesn't really With an ICE car, you definitely need to hear a cold start. Yeah, yeah, if you're buying a car, people, every time, go to that person's house to look at it, feel that engine. Is yeah. it warm? Be suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but, but man, I think... I think it's it's tough if you if you're if you either bought a Lucid and don't like it and you're trying to get out of it, it's about to be tough times. But if you want a Lucid and you don't want to spend 180,000 bucks, like I think Kyle Connor's dad got one like super used cheap, like a new a new used. You know, a couple thousand miles uh, Kyle Connor from, of course, uh, all the EV reviews and uh, out of spec motoring and rate your charge. He was on the show recently, but his dad bought a Lucid, had an order in for a new one, found a used one for like very, very cheap, you know, maybe 30, 40 percent off new MSRP and, and canceled his order for a new one. So if you if you want to get a Lucid, you know, you might be able to get one for. There's only one on Auto Trader right now. Well, eBay, but whatever. It's got 288 miles on the clock, and it is listed for 129. It is yeah. a Lucid Air, Grand Air Touring Performance. Yeah. So I mean, that's you know that's what this this co- this one is. So that's that's a lot. That's 50 grand off the retail. Yeah. So 
They're nice. I saw a dark red one the other day on the highway. Is no, like, red ooh, is good. Good color. Was red with gold. Red with champagne or red with silver. Uh, with silver, but it's yeah. like a dark burgundy with yeah. some flake. That's good nice. red. Yeah, that could be good. Um, but I just, you know, I found when the client wanted to send a res- had a reserve of one twenty, and cars and bids was like, can't do it. Got to do a hundred. I was like, oof, tough times. Yeah, that's that's tough times. It's the early adopter, you know, it's the price of it, right? I guess. I mean, maybe the demand just isn't there um, the way that Lucid hoped it was, or maybe it's the the the, the strength or weakness of the, the the stock, the how the company itself is doing, or I you know I uh, I follow uh, the out of spec motoring on Twitter, and one of the thing I think Kyle's dad was driving this thing like across the country or some very long road trip, mm-hmm. and he said it, he had made a, a a pretty high volume of charging stops. It was more than 10. And he had yet to see even once 350 kilowatts delivered to the car. So even though the car is, and I retweeted it actually Mm. uh, yesterday or the day before, the the car is this amazing 900 volt architecture. The car is capable of taking on charge faster than any other EV on the market right now. But there is no infrastructure you know, except it. in a couple select places on a very lucky day that will support that uh, that type of charging speed. Interesting. So. I'm reading a, a news report from 2022. They cut their production guidance in half back in 2022, um, but they said at the time they had plenty of demand. They had 37,000 reservations for the air sedan. So they had a lot of reservations and they were just a little slower on delivering them. So. Yeah, or or, I mean, maybe uh, maybe it's a case of the fact that the 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 client for a new one only wants a new one. You know, they don't want to buy the used ones. Possible, and 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 I'm not sure. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not sure, but it's interesting to see. Yeah, Um, that's really all I have on my list right right now. I don't have uh, I don't have a lot else uh, to talk about. I drove my M3 for the first time in a month, and it was delightful as always. Every time I. Every time I drive that car, I'm reminded why I have it. For a second, I thought about selling it after we had our little C3 Corvette chat. Mm-hmm. And then I drove it, and I was like, I, I cannot imagine a stupid C3 Corvette being a better experience than this. No. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. So nice. My friend texted me the other day. He said, what uh, muscle cars could deliver Porsche GT3 driving Feedback and I said does not zero. exist zero not even close even you had to go you'd have to go full Detroit speed and spend two to three hundred thousand dollars and it more. might get in the neighborhood yeah you'd have to spend different. more yeah uh, Mary Posey's Camaro is mm. on Bring a Trailer right now Whoa. you could buy that 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 is would get you pretty great. close it does yes. if you literally bought Mary Posey's car yeah she when, was a she champion. won Optima Ultima yeah. Streetcar Invitational like. Super autocross champion. Like top five pro touring autocross for yeah. years and years yeah. in a row. Yeah. And her 1970 Camaro is on Bring a Trailer right it's now. Fucking sweet and it's too. amazing. Yeah, it's a beautiful car. Really, really like sorted. Yes. Um, but even so, it's not going to do it. But God, that M3 is fucking just so nice. Just such a nice car. Um, go check out our Lotus Amira review. It is up. Uh, now, not lo- not for the Patreon uh, people listening to this live, but if you're listening to this show on Thursday, uh, the 13th, by the, the the day it comes out or after that, uh, the Amira video will be up on the YouTubes. Uh, note, 
some of those drive-bys look slow, it's because Spinelli was driving. Because he, <laughs> he wanted to have a go, and I was like, drive for a few drive-bys, Spinelli. And he was, uh, he was slightly, slightly slow. Um, before we get to the Patreon today, what, uh, what did you think about uh, what Ed Zitron had to say, Zach? Um, how to sum that up? Uh, I really like his newsletter, and then I felt like when he was here, he uh, he got spun up. You know, yeah, like he got a little spun up on some topics and like hammered him really hard. Yeah, and I was kind of surprised by that. But because his his newsletter is like seemed very measured and kind of even and factual, but it's like now I know where what the fire is that makes that newsletter happen. Right. That, you know, that is he he came in and showed us the engine room, as right. it were. Yeah. Um, well, not you know not. Not everybody, myself sometimes included, can take an eloquent argument and dispassionately present it in front of a microphone. No, I can't do that. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very hard <laughs> yeah. thing to do. Especially when it's a complicated topic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that makes you mad. Very and true. He's like... Part of what makes his newsletter and other newsletters great, it's like, because these are the things that make me mad because we're getting fucked here. Mm-hmm. We're getting fucked by people that certain individuals are propping up as the saviors of the world, and they're actually fucking us. And so that that gets you the, 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 the fire, like you said, that that causes when put into eloquently typed out words and legal fact checked and all that kind of stuff maybe edited a little bit um it you he crafts an amazing argument but when kind of put on the spot in front of a microphone um sometimes the <laughs> the hate flows right really. yeah, yeah the hate <laughs> flows through yeah I, I i'm not trying to besmirch him because you know great art or writing comes from like a place of passion yeah and you have to be really interested or f- have a strong feeling about t- a topic to create art or you know write something that you know really comes through and kind of breaks through the noise today yeah so i think we got to see that well there are certain there are people who can present that type of hate in a really like sort of calm and 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 sort of factual way like shout out again to Cody Johnston from some more news um granted i'm 100% certain he's reading a teleprompter right. you know or john oliver or you know other people like that where if those same folks try to go free form it's not the same thing john stewart is amazing at it but he's yeah. been doing it for 40 years yeah he's 30 he's years he's probably the most practiced and i don't yeah. think I think he got way better at going off script once he started actually spending time in Washington and dealing with that system personally. That's true. Um, oh, that's true. You know, he 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 was doing the teleprompter thing. Very true. And now he's he still is on a lot of his shows, but in his interviews back and forth, he's he's on the fly and he's able to fucking keep it together pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I love Ed's newsletter. And uh, and I, it was really interesting to have to have him on, but uh, I could I could see the rage. I think was, his Elon impression is pretty good. <laughs> like I heard it the first time I went, did he just do? And then like the third time I went, that's solid. Yeah, it's <laughs> real solid. It oh, <laughs> his sense of humor is so bad. He just the Elon's. Just oh the, right, the, okay. The shit he puts on Twitter is like literally stuff I think was funny in like seventh grade. Like it's not. 
Like you're 51. Like you're so unoriginal. I haven't read it. I, I, well, I muted some accounts. I, I fucking blocked him, but enough people fucking send that shit back into my feed. I can't, I, I try, right. literally try to ignore it. If you hit notifications to read about a Camaro post, then you're like right below it. So someone always, said, Did you see always this? there. Yeah. It's just always there. Um, right. Well, that's all that's on my list right now. Um, shout out to my Ferrari 328 for holding my golf clubs. Oh yeah. Went golfing. I saw it. Yeah. It's good. 328 holds golf clubs. That's fucking a practical car. That is amazing. It's very, very It'd be nice. fun to park that next to a C8 Camaro and look <laughs> yeah. at the butts. Yeah. Ferrari could do it. Different engine layout. I mean, yeah. you know, longitudinal versus transverse. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. They could do it in 86. The fuck, bro? Or, well, crash standards were different back then. I will give <laughs> Chevy that, you know. Yeah. But it's still, it's yeah. more, it's, it's, I don't care. It's better. It's it more, is better. It's more it practical. is better looking. Uh, Tanner Burke says, uh, last December I hit a deer with my Pontiac G8. I'm looking for a replacement. Torn between a 97 JDM Accord SIR modestly modified, or should I be going for something cheaper and more stealth, like a Buick, like a 2000 to 2005 Buick that's built like a tank while still being comfortable, take the money I'll save and put it into my weekend car in 84 Camaro? couple things about this question. Yeah. One is... I don't I can't tell you what you want to do here. Yeah. This is not a it's not a these two cars are in the same category but I can't test drive them so what do you think? This is should I buy a 26-year-old Japanese Accord or a 20-year-old Buick so that I can put money into to my 40-year-old Camaro. 40-year-old Camaro. Like I mean I have a, I have a tough time with this one because a twenty a two thousand Buick even if it's built like a tank, it's it's not like that car is going to run forever without maintenance, and it's not like it's going to be as comfortable as it once was, mm-hmm. unless you put brand new shocks and bushings and and shit in that kind of car, it's just going to be like an old beater at this point. There's nothing nice about a two thousand Buick. Right, like, it's going to have blown out seats. It's going to have, at this point, that's an old car that wasn't even that great when it was new. And comfortable is a pretty relative term when talking about a 20-year-old Buick. It just depends on what condition it's in. Uh, I mean, this question... He's talking about cheaper than $8,000. Right. That's the cheap, so if it's the cheaper option... Galero or something? It's probably... Oldsmobile. Yeah, it's probably not going to be that great. Yeah. Let's just assume it's probably not going to be that great. It's not like he's saying, should I buy the world's nicest Buick? I think you're more, if you've already got the 84 Camaro, you're probably better off buying a a JDM SIR Accord. It'll probably be made better than the Buick. Mm -hmm. It'll probably even be more comfortable than the Buick, honestly. And if you are trying, if you have to put money into it to maintain it or upgrade it, at least it's going into a car that someone else might want down the road. Yes. It's, like, a, it's more collectible. It's more popular with yeah. our generation of car enthusiasts. I think, again, this goes to, like, what do you want out of a car? To me, the the uh, Accord is 
both more comfortable and more sporting than either the Buick or the Camaro, unless your Camaro is really modified. Yeah. So you're kind of getting a daily that could be more fun. You might get two birds with one stone. Yeah. Just it, it totally, this is very subjective though. Like we don't yeah. know your Camaro. We don't know what you're doing with it. Is it your dream? I like, just think, I think the, the thing to focus on about this question is that he's making assumptions about this Buick that might not be true. Built like a tank, reliable and comfortable could are could be highly variable terms when you're talking about a cheap 20-year-old Buick. True. Highly variable. You might it might end up being a complete shitbox. Uh Greg Scott says, listening to the Mike Guy episode, you were discussing the new Z and some of its shortcomings. What sort of improvements could Nissan make to improve it? Uh I know it's still based in the 370 underneath. Is that where most of the problems stem from? I mean, the the shortcomings it's it's a it's a soft car. Uh, it, the suspension is soft. The the brakes are pretty soft. Like, it's a lot of the same things that you would have if you drove a non-performance pack Mustang GT. It's 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 meant for everybody. Even though they're probably going to sell most of them to pretty hardcore enthusiasts, so they're just it. It's sort of. It's kind of like the the 86 also, where it's like you got to finish it yourself. But the 86 does start from a higher place of competence than the Z Well, I think does. the 86 is focused more on driving, yeah. cornering. Like, they know that that's what their market's a little more interested in. And I think the Z is a little broader. And some people just cruise on the highway or they just modify it for speed or they just – want to drive around comfortably but have something, have something that looks stylish and goes kind of quick. Yeah. It's not a bad car. Mm-mm. It's just unfocused to me, which – so in theory, what would make that better? Like a Nismo version that was good. Uh, Nissan has a pretty bad track record of Nismo versions and how they actually execute. The Nismo 370 and the Nismo 350Z were not good, but uh, – make a good Nismo version, I would say. The only time I drove the 370Z Nismo was on a track, so my I have total rose-colored glasses because it was like, I'm having fun. Isn't this great? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tony Salgado says, "When uh, do you know when it's time to upgrade to a newer or different car? Uh, is it when a car has multiple issues or when you see the new exciting shiny thing? Uh... Interesting. Uh, Every time I've sold a car, it has been because that car no longer fits the, the stage of my life that I've moved into, whether that means going from a when I had a Ford Raptor and I traded it for a Chevy Volt. It was because I realized that the uh, the Raptor was just big and ungainly and and actually the Volt was better for driving around the city than the Raptor. And we weren't doing big shoots anymore. You didn't need the jib off the Raptor. Right. That production was kind of ending. Yeah. Yeah. Now I don't, it's not necessarily the same thing as what you're asking if you're talking about going from, you know, if you have the same job and roughly the same lifestyle, just going from one car to another, uh, I would say Get into get a do not get into the trap of the new exciting nope. shiny thing. That's how people end up like way upside down on their loans. Eighty four month, you know, yeah, uh, payments yeah. or whatever. Um, I think you, I think a good rule is if you've stopped really enjoying it. Like you've sold cars like the Raptor when you were done with 
that part of the task or mm-hmm. that part of life. There's also cars where you're like, Mom, like DeLorean. You yeah. weren't enjoying driving it as sure. much as you thought you would, so the fizz had worn off a bit. So yeah. if someone has that, like, my car has issues, but I still like it. But if you have a car that has multiple issues and you're over the experience, sure. like, go find, you can find a new experience. That's a good, that's a good thought. Nate M says, uh, I bought a older Lexus years ago. My 350 wheel horsepower turbo IS 300 finally died after 80,000 fun daily driver miles. I want to replace it with a fun, reliable, worry-free performance sedan with similar power for the mid $20,000 range. Why or why not is a first-gen CTSV my best option. Uh, a nice ISF or M3 is proving very difficult to find. Well, your price point is tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, your price point is too low to get a great ISF or M3. Yeah. Um, CTSV first gen is a decent powertrain, although those rear diffs I hear have trouble over time. But it's a plasticky, shitty twenty-year-old General Motors product at yeah. this point. It will feel it's less luxurious nice than the IS three hundred, yeah. which is older. Yeah. Um, uh, I would say like M three forty i. Like, it, it seems yeah. like what you want is, you know, 300 horsepower, turbo. All right, then BMW makes that, and it's not an M, but it's going to be fast. It'll feel nice inside. Yeah, I mean, you can get a, a nice 135 or 335i sedan and handle the, the the reliability issues that the N54 engine has. Like, yeah, that engine has some issues, but they're known quantities and can be addressed. Oh, that's true. I forgot he said worry. They, they said worry He said worry free. free. <laughs> I mean, you know, good, yeah. fast, or cheap, pick two. Yeah. Um, I would argue that that your IS300, um, uh, well, well, it's it, the IS, the first gen IS300 overperformed in terms of like niceness and quality. I mm-hmm. think that's a nice car. And if you put a turbo on it and you made it fast and it didn't die for a long time, you did pretty well there. There's not a direct replacement for that. True. Um, as far as I know. I mean, maybe. Well, also, he had to modify his IS300 and right. put a turbo on it. They didn't sell that one here. Yeah. So you took a car that was not fast, really, from the factory and did a bunch of stuff to it. Right, right. You might you might be able to get into an S4, Audi S4, or an S3, maybe. Yeah. You could it's... definitely get a Golf R in the 20s. That's a good solution. And, and do some bolt-ons and pretty much get to that Like point. a Mark 7, yeah. pretty nice inside. That's yeah. a good solution. I, I think, I'd say that. I think you should look at great hot hatches, like great ones. You could probably get into a, a Focus ST or a Fiesta ST that would have less power but would be lighter and would, feel, and would be very fun. ATSV is that that cheap? I don't know if you, I don't know about twenty maybe twenties. I don't know mm-hmm. that'd be Somebody if they came down low. that much. I'd be impressed. I don't know if they're that cheap. Uh, that price point is tough because you're not going to get a nice, fast, reliable car. You got to pick. Yeah, yeah. Adding reliable to that because you're talking depreciated speed. Yeah. And depreciated speed is rarely that cheap unless it's a simple V8 yeah. or, you know, an NA Japanese motor. You know, it could be funky, a 335D diesel. Oh, yeah. Uh probably less likely to have the shit beat out of it than Very a 335i. True. Uh surprisingly quick 
and a good daily driver car and flies under the radar a little bit. Let's see, someone said you can get a good uh, GS350 for 25K. That's true. You no, can't GS, get the F Sport, though. That's yeah, GS350 is nice. It's a nice car. That's a very nice That's car. That's a nice car. It's a good recommendation. Yeah. Y2K Punk says, What vintage Porsche livery would you put on your first gen Nissan Leaf commuter car? The Butcher? The Pink, pink Pig Butcher? Yeah, but, I mean, that's the only fun one, right? I mean,. Like golf, no. I hope this person isn't actually going to put a no, vintage I think it's livery. A joke. I think it's a hypothetical. Yeah. But, but that's certainly that one or the psychedelic is the most fun. Oh, the I guess purple and green psychedelic. Yeah, that's I would a do fun that. one. Yeah. Um, Chris uh, Nolke. It seems like the M2 is going to join uh, the 992 GT3, where the previous one might actually be better. Does this seem like it's happening more recently, or only as much as it ever has? Um, I don't know about only as much as it ever has. I think I think we, you know, every every car kind of sees a peak, you know, in 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 the, the great the great ones, and then they use more technology and more power and more space and more, you know, of this and that, uh, that sometimes makes the car possibly a little worse. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in the case of Porsche, it's all about the lap times, and so I think I think the the pursuit of the lap time and the things you have to do to make a car faster on the track take away some of what makes it so great on the street. Uh, first generation Ford GT to second generation Ford GT, same thing. Um, but they I also, think it's happened before. Sorry. They also usually improve something that needed improving or fixing from a previous generation. Like the the, the chassis gets stiffer and stronger, therefore the car is more reactive or like – uh, they have a traction control issue that gets more refined or something like there's all there's usually steps forward but there's also steps backwards sure. or just new changes like you said because technology changes the the trends change and with that like we might not like the new trend as much but some, some other people do. do I mean there there's people there I, I've talked to a few people that are not necessarily massive gearheads uh, my boy Tim was over last night and told me he loves how the new m2 looks loves it Okay, you're allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's is it happening more? No, not necessarily. It's always kind of happened. There's when people when the 911 went water cooled 25 years ago. Right, went batshit, batshit. Even though looking back on it, it's definitely the right move to go water cooled. Um, when the R5, I, I think the R53 Mini that they stopped making in 2006 was the best Mini they ever made. Why? Why? Because they kept getting customer surveys saying we'd like more space. They kept making the car fucking bigger. Instead of going, hey asshole, it's called Mini. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be small. Yeah, buy the Clubman. If buy you want the more fucking space. buy something bigger if you want something bigger. It's it's not significantly roomier inside. The car's just fucking bigger. And so you know that stuff's been happening, but. I think if you go back to like the 70s and 80s, for the most part, the new one did get a little better. But like the anniversary Countach was not better than the one before it. Right. Well, and the cars in the 70s weren't necessarily better than the ones in the 60s right. in terms of performance because of new regulations. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. There's a lot of factors. Yeah. But it's it's not entirely new. It, uh, it's not new. And I don't think it's happening more now, although... I think that as as 
they the the cars are definitely getting bigger and bigger and bigger and heavier and heavier and heavier so the the it, it's getting more pronounced for sure uh kurt uh tenant says have you heard of the canoe ev uh my brother is interested in one but i've never heard of them and i'm not super confident it would be a good choice well it doesn't exist yet it's like not i think their ceo just quit yeah, I just like found last, a news story. Like that last week. They are having an issue. Uh, this is last year. Production uh, begins at Troubled EV Company. Internal documents show parts are still missing. Yeah. And um, so they've, they've hit some delays. I wouldn't give them any money. No. I would definitely wait that. And if you want an electric van, there are electric vans. Uh, in fact, when is, when is the Volkswagen one coming here? Isn't that the this buzz? year? ID Buzz. Is that this year? I see the appeal. It's a cute-looking thing, but uh, they're making them in Europe right now. Um, but I don't know when it's coming to America. I imagine that's a global product. I cannot possibly imagine that they would not sell that in America. Oh, VW? Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be a global product. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it was inspired, like, surf culture, all that stuff. Yeah. It's coming right out of California. Uh, uh, but I, I would definitely not... Um, give Canoe any money until we're certain that vehicles are being delivered to customers. Yeah, it looks like Volkswagen is hoping to start delivering the Buzz. Sorry, start, wants to start production in 2023. Yeah. So whether, whether when delivery happens, we don't know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Gunnar Ray says, can I have both of your thoughts on the flooded P1? Um, I think Freddie is in a position where he has to keep finding harder and harder challenges in order to keep his audience more interested. It's like a fucking junkie down there, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, it's like Walking Dead. Every every season they had to just find new ways to kill zombies and make it bigger and crazier and crazier. Yeah, I mean, the car is fixable. Mm -hmm. It's 100% fixable. It's just like, what will it cost to get those parts? Now, fortunately, his business is monetizing misery. So if he can make a video that'll bring in $10,000, dollars $40,000 every time he gets to a new phase of the repair of that car, he'll get there eventually. It, I mean, it is very cool to see what can be fixed. I mean, we know this can be done because, uh, like Mr. Bean, he crashed his uh, McLaren F1 yeah. years ago, and they rebuilt it from, like, being split in half. So it's like, all right, I, I learned that that could be done. But yeah. this, you can actually see it step by step, and it's I think it's pretty interesting. It's bold. It is interesting. It's, it's very, very bold. bold. Uh, I learned I learned that, that you can actually take a loan out to buy something like that. Um, but this is... This is what this dude does. Uh, he has a lot of confidence in himself, which is a great thing to have if you're doing stuff like that. And I think it'll be very hard. Yeah. But the harder and more frustrating it is, the more money he can make in the process. And so he has a, a business plan for doing it. And I think eventually he'll have a running car. Yeah. I, I, I have no reason to believe that he won't eventually have a running car. Agree. Good for fucking him. Yeah. I mean, good, uh, he already restored one McLaren, and it works. And he you know, said very on the well, show that they're like, not that different. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between those cars, and the knowledge he got fixing the one will help another. And and it's not like he's 100 percent doing everything himself. He has partner shops that can 
fix carbon and do right. paint and body and, and stuff that he couldn't possibly do in his own garage. He has experts to help with who mm -hmm. want to be featured in his videos. So, like, God bless. Have fun. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And, but so, you know, he lives in fucking Florida. It's cheap as fuck to live down I mean, there. Anything whatever. can be fixed. Like, I yeah, think it's yeah. just a matter of time, effort, and getting the parts. So yeah. if he can get the parts he needs, I think that would probably be one of the biggest snags with this is like, yeah, if, what's if McLaren broken. doesn't want to help, if McLaren themselves put up roadblocks, right. that would be bad. Yeah. Like uh, battery because pack, it's not like he can just now. get, make, you know, make the battery pack. He'd have to get it from McLaren or from some other wrecked car. And I don't know how many wrecked out P1s there are. You know, you there's probably a, a couple, but, but I don't know how many there are where the battery pack is salvageable. Yeah, that. Yeah. Um, Christian says, as someone who's never driven a scooter or Vespa, is there a learning curve? Also, is a Vespa better than a Saunders electric scooter? Uh, when I moved to SoCal, which one is best for a daily? Uh, I think Vespas are about as easy to ride as you could ever imagine. It's a twist throttle and two two brake levers like a like a bike. There's mm -hmm. it's not like there's there's no gears, at least not in a modern one. A vintage one would have gears. There's no clutch. It's very very easy. Um, you can rent them for a day. Uh, there's a place called Eagle Rider, uh, and they rent motorcycles and scooters, and you can rent a scooter and try it for yourself. Um, I don't. If, if you're talking about something that can actually be used as daily transportation, I don't think an electric bike is a 100% replacement for something with a motor. I can go a lot of places on my Vespa that I can't go on my e-bike, even though I love my e-bike. Yeah. Not to mention the Vespa has the cargo box and the underseat storage, which is very clutch. You can get groceries. You can carry some basic shit around. Like, it's much more practical because of that cargo box. And, you know, in my apartment, we have to walk up a flight of stairs. Sarah has an e-bike. It's really heavy yeah. to carry that up the stairs. We don't feel safe locking it outside. Yeah. So I know some bikes have detachable batteries, which is good, but you just need to make sure you're in, this person's in Santa Monica, Venice. Like, do you have secure parking for your bike? Yeah. Vespa is just not as attractive to steal because it's so much heavier. Yeah. Um, and also... You know, e-bikes let you take the bike path and skip some traffic, but a Vespa lets you do that too. You know, you can you can lane split, you can go down the bike like not you yeah. can't go on a bike path, but I'm saying you don't get stuck in gridlock behind cars. Yeah. So e-bikes are awesome, but I agree with you on carrying them up the stairs. I pulled a fucking muscle in my ribs trying to carry my very heavy e-bike up the stairs at our old office. It was horrible. It was a terrible process. Yeah. And I didn't want to leave it outside, but how do I get it inside? And that was a bitch. And, and, and an e-bike is great, and if you're, if you're moving to this area, you get a lot of use out of it, but not as much as a something with a motor. You don't have to get the 300. Start with the 125, especially if you're under, like, 175 pounds. That'll get you most of the way there. I definitely recommend Vespas, but they're not hard to ride at all, no. I totally recommend, if you're coming to California, taking the Motorcycle Safety Foundation like basic rider and licensing course. Yeah. You learn on motorcycles with gears, but that's a good thing to learn anyway, and they teach you the very, very basics. And when you finish the course, you have a license, and then you'll be much more confident. If you take this course on a motorcycle, it's like a Honda Rebel 250 with, with gears, Going from that to a Vespa is like fucking child's play. Yeah, but that's a, that's a very good idea. I totally recommend it. And they pay you to do it. Uh, not the first, sorry. I think the first one, you pay them, and then they pay you to go back and do follow-up training. 
And I think you might have insurance reductions as well if you do the um, the course. Uh, okay, wait a minute. Um, a lot of words from Richard James. Sorry there. Um, okay, let's pretend Fast and Furious was rebooted with 2023 car culture. Let's talk. What can we see on screen instead of Vin Diesel's RX-7 and Paul Walker's Supra? So what are the tuner cars of today? Right. It's an interesting question. I think... Uh, Paul might do GR Corolla, like some of the scenes. Um, Those cars were like six, seven years old at the time. Yeah. So okay. So you want to, So we need cars from 2016. I think you'd, you'd see a turbocharged BMW of some kind. R35 GTR, probably. Probably an R35 GTR, like a 2009 R35 GTR. Any of them, they all look the same. Yeah. So, yeah. A 996 Turbo Porsche, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, a, an STI. Oh, definitely. You know, STI, I mean, Evo 10, Mitsubishi Evo 10 or Evo 9. Probably a Miata somewhere for something. Fiat 500. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chris Navio says on... Oh. um, uh, Okay, Chris Navio says, uh, I talked about getting a C3 Corvette, but it doesn't fit a new driving niche because it does the same thing as the Ferrari. What other driving characteristics would I be interested in adding to the garage? Uh, what So what holes are missing in the person? First off, I don't need any more fucking cars. Let's just say that. It's um, not about need. It's not about need, for sure. I can't afford any more cars. Don't have anywhere else to keep them. Don't really want them. Um, I think it would be fun to have, like, if I could have, like, a... A, a K5 Blazer, like a really nice Blazer from the 80s, that could be fun. Or a, a, like, a, like an OJ Bronco. Or the two-door Tahoe from the late 90s. Oh, a really good two-door Tahoe from the late 90s would be good. But I like the t- idea of taking the top off. Mm, I like okay. I like a, I think a convertible SUV would be fun. So it would, it would be like... Not like a 60s Bronco, because those things are just shit boxes unless you're going with Icon. But like a really nicely done K5 Blazer uh, or a 90s Bronco, but with the hard top taken off. I love that look where the back seat is like yeah, outside. It looks good. I'm into that. Uh, I think I think a two a two door SUV from the 90s. I was really I almost wanted to enter Cletus's giveaway for that two door Tahoe he had yeah. with the L T four swap and the ten speed. I was into that. That was fucking cool. Good for you Cletus. Should have buy a T shirt and get an entry think, or something. Yeah, I think people would call Fraudemars if I won. Oh, I think I don't. I don't. Of think course, I, another YouTuber yeah, gets it. I don't it. think I would be. Uh, I would. I'd be feel comfortable winning. But um, I definitely have entered one Hoonigan giveaway. I bought you? a beanie and I was like, I would love to win that car. What I was did the not. car? I think it was like an R thirty three or oh, something. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I would yeah. do that. Um, and I could, I could definitely at some point get another Skyline. I, I do. The only car I actually miss that I don't have now is my Skyline. It was so fucking nice. Um, and they're, they're just such great cars. Uh, Andy in Colorado, suggestions on how to buy a vintage watch. Uh, even with some of the very, uh, there's reports of people having bad experiences, even with very known and brand name vintage dealers. Um, vintage watches are tough. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, 
people have definitely um, bought watches that are not historically accurate or have the problem with vintage watches is beyond so I'm wearing a vintage watch this is a good example I'm wearing a 1966 Omega Speedmaster I bought it from Kraft and Tailored the Kraft and Tailored guys I think are ethical folks and they sell great stuff at a variety of price points they have stuff that's a thousand bucks they have stuff that's two hundred thousand bucks this watch I think I paid an appropriate price for because it is a very highly desirable case and dial that is close to the Neil Armstrong watch. It's within within a couple months of when Neil oh, Armstrong's right, right. watch was produced. But it has easily identifiable service hands. The hands aren't original. The loom is way too bright for those to be original. And... As it turns out, it also has a service movement. The movement is for the case and dial are from 1966. The 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 movement is from 1968. Okay. Does anyone really give a shit when I'm wearing it? What the numbers on the movement say? No. Nobody cares. Does anybody really care what the hands? No. But if this same watch had original hands and a numbers matching movement, I paid about six grand for this watch. It would be 30 grand if those things matched. So that's what you're getting into with a vintage watch. And so when people can mix and match parts, and if you don't know what you're buying, know what to look for, what not to look for, et cetera, you can get fucked. And so like you're, the question about is, is you know, are you, do you want to buy something that is investment grade or do you just want something that's nice and cool looking to wear? where what's inside in terms of numbers matching or service parts don't really matter. Um, our friend Kyle Kennard, who writes about cars, has a Rolex Daytona that is non-numbers matching, like this watch. And if it was numbers matching, it probably would be $100,000. Because it's not, it's probably more like 15 to 20. When you see it on his wrist, you go, damn, you are fucking balling right now. That You write about cars and you're wearing that watch. And he's honest. He goes, well, it's this and this and this. But if you you know, if you know, don't know, he's wearing a fucking heavy piece. Um, it's really cool, actually. It's a beautiful, beautiful watch. But the movement doesn't match. So that's the difference between, you know, something that it's the same thing as a car. You get a right. fucking car that the, and the number stamped on the engine block doesn't match the VIN, and the car, even though it drives the same, it works the same, 95% of people don't give a fuck. The only people that care are the people selling it to you and the person you sell it to. Right. So how do you not get fucked? On vintage, it's very hard. Find the best dealers. I, I happen to like Kraft and Tailored. I'll shout them out. When it comes to Seiko, because there's so much fake Seiko. There's so many mix and match parts on Seikos because they weren't worth shit for a long time. And now they're start vintage Seikos worth something. Shout out to DC Vintage Watches, our friend Nick Farrell. That dude knows Seiko and you are buying a real a real thing if you buy from him. Um, and, and beyond that, shit, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if there's good documentation or photos and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're yeah. talking, if the watch is vintage and has like documentation, you're probably buying a collector grade piece. Um, you can have things independently appraised. That's that's right. Possible. They can open it up, right, and go. Yeah, oh, this doesn't match that. Yeah, yeah. There's people that can do that, but you have to know what to look for a lot of the time. It's tough. It's tough. But I would say, just 
be careful and don't buy something that's crazy expensive based on the fact, based on certain facts you aren't certain about. Don't go buy a $100,000 vintage watch because it's got some kind of provenance that you can't personally inspect. On the other hand, if it looks cool and it works and it's a fair price to you, eh, fucking have at it. Buy it, you know? Just, it's if you are you thinking about it as in terms of an investment right. piece or do you just want something cool to wear? Then you have to do your homework. Then it's like homework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, bad Gardener. Uh, I grew up uh, racing top-level karting until college. I don't race anymore, but I still enjoy track days. Um, I'd like to experience driving uh, vintage racing like I see at Goodwood Revival. Um, I currently have a Fiesta ST. It's not exactly Goodwood Revival. For a teacher's budget, uh, excuse me, for a teacher's budget, is that the best that driving is going to get? Or would a two-car garage with a daily and a classic car be worthwhile? How much are Formula Fords? Uh, pretty the open cheap. Wheel things. I mean, like ten, fifteen thousand bucks. I mean, that might you be. Can, uh, you the can you can go vintage racing for very little money. Yeah, because they started speaking. making those. You could in tow the it 60s. with your Fiesta. Yeah, you can. I mean, Sam Smith, he owned one for a couple of years and raced it. Like, it's an open wheel car. I think it's a spec series, so the engines are all the same, and it's all in the setup. Uh, not too fast, and they're, yeah, you can tow it with your Fiesta. They're really light. I I wouldn't sell your Fiesta to have no. a cheaper daily. No, just so you can have a vintage car on the side. I think a Fiesta ST is a great one car garage if that's what your budget is. I wouldn't get rid of a because if you get rid of that car, you'll never be able to get another one for what you got rid of it for. Yeah, but. And, and an old Lotus, I get it, or a Caterham or something like that. Like, I get the I get the appeal. But I would maybe put money aside for that or try and get a vintage Formula Formula race car and do some track days in that and some, some racing in that. Vera, V-A-R-A, and S-V-R-A are the, the racing, uh, vintage racing series. Mm-hmm. And, and I know people that are, like, totally regular folks not rolling around in money that race vintage cars from open wheel stuff to like Triumphs and MGs and minis, stuff like that. Um, mi- classic minis are pretty cheap. In, they race them a lot. It's funny is when I searched Lotus Elan on uh, Auto Tempest, uh, a lot of the results are Miatas. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, these are just street cars and they're five to 10 grand. And so they're, they may not even be race ready. I don't know. That's yeah. a lot of budget and modifications there. Uh, ben Stahl says, trying to decide between a new daily driver, live in Austin, brand new LC500 convertible, or Lotus Amira with the six-speed. Oh. I mean, well, first off, you got to answer, do you want to drive automatic or manual? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, big, that's a big choice to make. True. And, and one will eliminate the other. Uh, do you want a big GT car? Or a small mid-engine agile car. Um, Will you go to the track or not? Because in my, if you don't go to the track, there's some nice-ish roads around Austin. There are like, some I've done roads. some launches there. I think I think you'd I, th- I would get bored of them pretty quickly in a manual car. So unless you are going to track days with your Lotus, if you're just commuting in it, I would go LC500. I it's probably would too. There's some roads outside of Austin that are nice driving roads. But the everyday driving of Austin, he did say daily driver. Yeah. The everyday driving of Austin, in my experience, 
is not made better with a manual gearbox, really. Especially because the LC has a good automatic. Yeah. It's not like it's shitty. Yeah. Paddles are good. It's responsive. It's snappy. And the, and the twisty roads I experienced out there, they didn't require that much shifting. It would be like a straight for a while and then a small S mm-hmm. and then a straight for a while. And like, you know, maybe third gear could actually in the Lotus, you could do most of those roads in just third yeah. gear. So I would yeah. go LC. I'd probably go LC also. Um, Liang Ku. Uh, Long question short, what piece of automobilia collection or item would you like to have if you have unlimited FU money? I know exactly what I would like to have. There was a, and I know the person who owns it, actually. There was a Senna Formula One car. Oh, yeah. Disassembled and turned into uh, like a pop-out model. Like you would, like like, like the kind of, when you build a model car, and they, there it is. Yeah. When you build a model car and the pieces pop out of a plastic uh, scaffolding, like an Airfix model or a, a, a thing. So a, set, a real Senna car was turned into that, and I would love that. That's pretty rad. Yeah. Uh, I would go with um, the paintings at Jay Leno's garage that are like 15 feet tall. Oh, and they yeah. took an old poster and then they remade it in huge mm. scale. I think those are awesome. That's very cool. Yeah. Did you see the book Donnie gave me? It's I put a picture of it on Instagram uh, last week. Donnie shows up and he goes, I have a present for you. And I, you know, that's not nice, whatever. And he goes, you got to help me unload it from the car. And it's a fucking massive box. It's like three feet by three feet by 18 inches. It's wow. a wooden crate. And it's a one of these Tashin, I think it's pronounced right, books. Scroll back in my Instagram like last week. Uh, keep going, 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 keep going. There, Ferrari, right in the middle. And that, that's the inside of the crate. That looks vaguely like a Ferrari engine block with the- Yeah, with the valve covers. Valve right. covers. Keep, scroll to the right. So it comes in this crate like this, and this is a, a special, the most special coffee table book that exists. And if you open it, keep going, inside those valve covers, you flip open, and there's this amazing leather and chrome book about the entire history of Ferrari. And it's all these photographs that are like super high res, never seen, some are never seen before, um, and it's incredible. And so this book, apparently, because I couldn't help myself but look it up, this book, as it is there in that case, is $6,000. Jesus. So, shout out to Donnie. What's your invoice on your Kumtosh uh, <laughs> look like right now? He put it, he probably added six grand for Yeah, the he book. padded it, right? I bought it for myself. This no, is no. very cool. It's like but, a briefcase made of engine valve Dude, it cover. weighs like wow. 80 pounds. And, and there's a version of this that's $30,000 where that engine block thing comes on a stand that looks like headers. Oh my and god. And it's the same book, same engine block thing, but it's on a stand and it's just insane. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually going to uh, it, it's for the new shop and I'm going to turn the whole thing into a coffee table, um which is pretty going to be pretty cool, I think. Um but so that's that's a really wild You could have like the box and then the case and then the book yeah, all under glass all together under glass. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. cool it's very neat so i have to i have to have a thing made for it 
Um, but still, it's a it's really 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 neat. That's a good. It's like when Larry gives you a print, and, and they like, made they only made uh, what was the year Ferrari started? Nineteen forty seven. So they made one thousand nine hundred and forty seven of them, and this one is like number eighteen sixty something. That's yeah. real cool. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Donnie said he has another one. He has one for him, and he got one for me. I must have sent him a lot of business. <laughs> uh, Richard H. says, when it comes to Porsche's four-door vehicles, do you think the premium versus competitors is always worth it? So uh, whether it's worth it or not is your choice, but I, I do know where it comes from in a lot of cases, and specifically the Macan. Because I went to the, I've, I'm sure I've said this on the show before. Yeah, yeah. I went to the Macan factory, which is Macan's platform shared with the Q5 and the Tiguan. And you go, well, why is a Macan 75 grand and a Q5 is 55 grand and a Tiguan is 35 grand? Why is that? And part of it is the engine and the the, the, the parts that go into it. And another part of it is the number of quality checks they do per day. And when they do a quality check, they're measuring tolerances, they're measuring fit and finish. They then go back to the suppliers who adjust the tolerances of the parts, which then go in the... So those cars get tighter and tighter tolerances as they go on. And so Porsche does that a lot more than the other companies, which is expensive. It's an expensive process. Plus, Porsche does a have it your way. You know, Audi, uh, an Audi A8, or uh, 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 let's just go, let's go same thing Macan Macan Q you know the Tiguan will have the the drivers pack the tech pack and then eight colors you can get it in the Audi will have some individual options with a couple other packages and maybe two extra engine options and there's 12 colors the Porsche you can individualize paint a sample individual options leave out the this but put in the this and it just costs more money to have that level of customization. Um, that that shit costs money, so that's that's why. Okay, um, <clears throat> let's see. Lucas says uh, that I talk a lot about urbanism. I host experts in related fields, and I evangelize the idea that cars and urbanism can coexist, and that we both want the same thing. In his experience, at political and municipal activist level, this is a complete fantasy. Urbanists who actually lobby local governments genuinely loathe cars. They hate them. They will do anything to make driving as miserable as possible to advance their agendas. In my opinion, amplifying their voices as a driving enthusiast is counterproductive. Well, okay, that's that's your opinion, and I'm sure there are some of those people that hate cars. Um, but I, the the people I've interacted with, um, are able to see the difference um, between uh, what the city center should be as far as a walkable and livable and a city, a place with clean air that prioritizes. Um, the safety and life of pedestrians and bicyclists and stuff like that, and nature, and does not and and they and does not revolve around the needs of cars and their drivers. Uh, I think those people understand that you can be a car enthusiast and collect cars, and um, and I don't know all of them. 
And I haven't been to a, a board meeting. I haven't been to a, a local government meeting, so I don't know. what I The people that I talk to are journalists who write for The Atlantic or Los Angeles Magazine or New York Magazine like Alyssa Walker and David Zipper um, and, and, and guys that typically are guys and, and, and women and, and whatever else in between who are uh, pro-urban lifestyle uh, in a way that we don't make cars the center of our urban infrastructure and we really focus on public transit and how we can help people get around that either can't afford a car or don't want a car. But that doesn't, um, that to me doesn't uh, 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 clash with car, the enthusiasm of cars as art, uh, with motorsport, with driving a car on a great road on a nice day, uh, with going on a road trip. It almost exclusively talks about how cars are favored in our urban environments at the expense of pedestrian, cyclists, mass transit, and other ways of getting around. And so while I'm sure there are some like insane car-hating people, um, they're, they're not the people that I interact with. I'm not, I'm not discounting your experience, Lucas. I'm sure that you're being honest about your experiences, but those experiences haven't been mine, and I've found that when I engage these people from someone who is a car enthusiast that also believes that urban spaces should not prioritize cars, um, we seem to find common ground. And um, I, I'd like to... I told David Zipper the other day, I want to get him in here because he's pretty hardcore urbanist as well. And if you didn't, if I didn't know him, I was introduced to him in Germany. He came to the thing in Germany. I was introduced by Alex Roy. And Alex, the day I met him, he brought him into my hotel room. He goes, you guys are either going to love each other or hate each other. And I really like him. I think he's really smart. And, and, and I interact with him on Twitter all the time. He brings up great points. And, and, and he understands that to be a car enthusiast, to be an enthusiast of sports cars and race cars and beautiful collectible cars, and to be an urbanist are not, not mutually exclusive. And so um, I'd love to go to a, a, a meeting and explain that to somebody, but uh, maybe one day I will. But I, not, your point is taken. I happen to, to, to disagree based on my own experience. Um, Dave from Minnesota. Ideal apocalypse vehicle. Um, scooter. In Los Angeles, traffic is going to be the thing. Right. It depends on is it short-term apocalypse or long-term. Short-term, like, I bought a dirt bike for a reason. Yeah. Uh, Long-term, I think his move of diesel SUV is a great idea. Yeah. The yeah. Delica is pretty Something, good. You could live in it if you had to. I wouldn't go Delica because... How, how common are the parts for that car? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would know. go with something mass sold, like yeah. you know, diesel Ford truck or diesel Land Cruiser. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Short term though, two wheels. Short term, good. Two, two wheels, wheels good. Sailboat. Um, Dustin Height says I own a 2011 Lotus Evora S. Would the Evora 400 GT or Amira be worth upgrading to, or is my Evora S enough of the Evora experience for the money? Used S values are around 60k. Uh, I probably would say skip the 400 and the GT. You're probably close enough with the S. Um, to, the Amira, I mean, it, the driving dynamics are pretty similar. Yeah. Um, it depends on if you like your interior and the styling or not, or you want to feel the new thing and maybe have a better radio. Yeah. It's 40 grand for a new interior, new radio. 
And yeah. you still have analog gauges, which I like, yeah. versus the screen in the new one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I would stay with what you have personally. Mm-hmm. It's more it's more of a math and finance question. <sighs> um, okay. All right. Tough one, Jack Snell. And I have a call, I'm sorry, in 12 minutes. So I'm going to try and get through as many as I uh, can. Uh, Jack Snell, I'm doing a critical discourse analysis of the industry's transition to EV. The main question I'm exploring is, is the shift being done for the greater good? Is it an exercise in greenwashing or somewhere in between? Would you be able to give an argument for each side? Okay, well. It's like a debate. You have two minutes, Farah. You're playing both sides. I think... I think I think what's being done, and I'm going to try and say both sides in one, I think that in general, it's probably a net positive. Having said that, there are still there is, it's a net positive in terms of our most pressing issue, which seems to be the warming of the earth. And if 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 greenhouse gas emissions can be curbed, drastically and rapidly, then that is good. I also think that a lot of our emissions that are causing this problem don't come from passenger cars, comes from other places. And so we are not putting enough pressure on industries, the military, uh, shipping, aviation. Learjet usage. Yeah, to, to, to to clean up their acts the same way that we are pressuring, at least in the media, individuals to clean up their own acts. Um, I think that our country wants cleaner air, wants to modernize and have fewer emissions, but not at the expense of capitalism. They don't want to build mass transit because they have to pay for that when they could make you pay for a new car. Um, They will hold up capitalism, not hold up to restrict, hold up prop up, they will prop up capitalism before they will break that system down to save the planet. That's that's my argument. So it's not greenwashing. I think think people like Jason Fenske, who really study this stuff, have come out and said that cradle to the grave, most EVs are cleaner than most gas-powered cars, especially if you have clean power behind it, which Mm -hmm. not everywhere does, but some do. Um, But I don't think there's enough focus on things like transitioning to more fuel-efficient vehicles from from less fuel-efficient vehicles. I mean, in, in terms of keeping not everybody can afford an EV, and we're not doing enough to push people fast enough into efficient vehicles in terms of dealing with weight of vehicles, because a lot of the shit in the air is from tires, from rubber. Yeah, brake dust. There's yeah. other brake dust. There's like, there's all kinds of stuff. But um, I think that's so. That's a that kind of answers both in one. But it's going to be capitalism over the environment as far as America goes. They will definitely make you buy some new shit. Sell you the solution. Have, before they have to clean up their own act. And by that, by, by the way, I recommend uh, the book Winners Take All um, for you if you want um, a real, a real uh, 
in-depth look at why the people, a lot of the people that caused these problems want to sell you the solution to these problems at a big profit. Joe, uh, Joe Curran, oh, says, okay, uh, wants to know about the, the Ferrari Texas shop that I have accused of being somewhat untoward. Uh, I am doing an in-depth story on this shop. I'm gathering um, interviews from people, and I'm working on a piece for Road and Track. If anyone out there has had a problem with that Ferrari shop in Texas that does manual transmission swaps into automatic Ferraris, you will know who I'm talking about. Uh, DM me or email me uh, if you want to, if you've had a problem and you want to tell your story. Uh, Crandy says, uh, what is that? Something, something. What do you think causes tension or beef between automotive journalists? From the outside, it seems like a lot of them don't get along. I, mean, I haven't had that experience. Uh, I haven't. So. I haven't personally like had beef with people, but I've seen it between other people. Really? I haven't even observed. I don't. Maybe I just don't consume. I mean, stuff. typically there's some like a few people that are like really angry, and they're angry at a lot of other people. Oh. <laughs> um, I mean, I think there's a few things. One is it's. You're competing for views, you're competing for traffic, you're competing for resources. There's also some machismo about it in terms of who's a better driver than someone else, who's faster around a track, who is doing something ethically versus not ethically. You know, if you are doing, if you're trying to be ethical, but you see people doing things that aren't ethical, that could certainly cause some tension. Um, if 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 you know in some of these press launches especially uh pre-covid you know you had journalists had to share cars you'd be on this trip and you'd be sharing a car with someone i've been in situations where i was not comfortable with the person's driving yeah. who i was forced to share a car with and so i have a internal list of people i will and will not get into a car with now that doesn't mean i don't like the person or it's causes beef but there's definitely like a sting on that if i don't feel safe in a car with somebody. Um, there are some people in the industry that are generally angry people. <laughs> not me. I mean, I, I can be angry about stuff, but, but it's not usually this. Um, and so uh, I think all of those things could cause beef or tension, you know, and, and, and people are going to react different, different ways. But I, most of the people that we hang out with are pretty mellow and get along. Yeah, I mean, I'm quiet because I haven't, I haven't observed much beef between, like, I can't think of any that I've watched happen, and I don't give enough of a shit about, like, being mad about somebody else for doing something, so. Yeah. yeah. And there's also things that, like, someone could have beef with an outlet uh, and the actions of an outlet as a whole and maybe not the individual writers for that outlet. True, or, yeah. You know, that kind True. of thing. Yeah. Um... Shit. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to. Uh, all right. We're gonna just, I'm just going to do Andrew N's question. The okay. other ones are going to have to get bumped. Uh, my question is somewhat pedantic. As we see more plug-in hybrids being sold and we see more on the used market, would it be helpful if hybrids were advertised or could show their electric miles and internal combustion miles driven? If you're buying a car with 100K miles, but a significant number of those miles were electric and not gas, would that change your mind? Yeah. I, I, I mean, would be surprised if they don't already do that. 
it's a good point. Even know. if it's not displayed on the output, I would be surprised if there wasn't a way by hooking up a diagnostic tool to see that. I'm going to see if I can find anything on like a I, bolt. I have a bolt. vague recollection of the Volt that I had having a an onboard diagnostic that showed like engine hours. That showed it wasn't miles driven, but it was like how many hours the engine had run for. Um, to, to answer your question, it's not pedantic. I do think that that would be a helpful metric. I would like to know uh, how many miles would be driven on electric versus on gas. Yeah, but I I I I haven't. We should really start looking into that uh, when we have hybrid press cars in the future, if that's something that can be displayed. And then you got to figure out what's the sweet spot where, like, the engine's been on enough times to stay lubricated. Well, it has well usually the car that. automatically will do that. Right. Has it been driven enough but not yeah. too much? Yeah, no, the car the car will cycle its fluids through as, as it needs based on programming. And usually it makes you acknowledge it. Usually it'll say, the engine will turn on to cycle fluids. Like, do you approve? And you hit yes, and then it comes on and cycles the fluids. Um, I, I Even if it doesn't show on the... UI, I'm almost certain that's the kind of thing that would come up with a diagnostic tool. Yeah, probably. So It'll show engine hours or something yeah. like that. And if I'm wrong about that and someone knows for sure, please uh, let us let know. Let us know. Uh, or, if I'm, or if I'm definitely right, please let us know. Um, I'm sorry that I have to end this crew show right now because I have a call. Zach and I, uh, by the time you hear this, will be flying home, hopefully, from the uh, Razer XP launch in uh, Knoxville. I hope it's a good time. We will have a video for you of that. Please go watch our Lotus Amira review, which is live on the YouTube channel uh, now as of Wednesday uh, the uh, 12th. And thank you all for listening. And thanks to the patrons for their questions. We will see you next week.